0: Welcome back to the Financial Coconut Podcast Network, the leading personal finance podcast network in Singapore. I'm your host, Reggie, a.k.a. Yorchi Financial Coconut, and every Thursday, you will finally get to chill with us. We will be bringing on some of the quirkiest, geekiest, leading voices in the personal finance space to give them simple time to talk about their stories the lessons they have learned over time and some good advice for all of us what has aged well what didn't do so well why did they do what they do so sit back and chill with TFC
1: I'm only earning $3,000 a month how am I going to give my parents allowance but at the same time save myself dividend investing really came in and that really clicked so as i built that i would be telling my mom mom i don't need to give you allowance your allowance is here in the form of a dividend portfolio
0: We are back with another episode of Chills with TFC. As you can tell, we have a friend of the show, right? Not exactly new, which he's been around and all that jazz, right? So maybe for, for, the, for the benefit of our new audience, which we have, of course. <laughs>
1: <laughs> on a month-to-month month
2: yeah,
0: basis. Yeah, on a month-to-month yes. month basis, right? Yes, yes. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: My name is Willie. I'm the writer of a financial blog called DividendTitan.com. So that's where I share my insights, my stock ideas on dividend stocks, many dividend stocks, but I've also talked about Hong Kong. I've talked about US as well. So I've been writing this blog for about Three years plus now, so I started during COVID um, back in 2020.
0: I, I mean, you, you've been on the show multiple times, but I realised we didn't get you to really talk about your ideology. You know, it's always applied to a particular stock, you know, all, all that jazz, right? So, we are back in studio today with Rang. You know, you want to introduce yourself just in case. <laughs> sure. Uh, Rakesh here from the TFC crew.
2: Uh, do quite a bit in, in terms of financial or, you know, retirement and personal finance. Of course, I've interviewed Willie for, that was the stock geek out, wasn't it? But yeah, I'd love to find out a bit more about, I think, Dividend Titan. Um, start from the top lah, for us.
0: Yeah, like like why, why? Maybe the first question is why dividend stocks?
1: So I started Dividend Titan in 2020 and it was during COVID. Actually, if we just rewind the clock back a bit, um, I left my corporate banking job in 2018. I wanted to do something on my own because I was really burnt out. Corporate culture wasn't really for me because I grew, you know, Tough or tired of the whole idea of having a very big fixed organization. So I was a quiet worker, but I couldn't stand, you know, like all the whole idea of the restructuring of many companies. So back then there was the oil and gas crash and many clients lost a lot of money and I was pouring through, you know, endless... Pages of restructuring. So I left and I wanted to do something where I thought that I could really connect with. Back then, I had already saved up and invested in sort of a six figures portfolio and it was also building a portfolio of passive income. So I had that portfolio together with my mom as well. So we combined that. It was one of the strategies where I felt that it was the most consistent and I felt that I, I was able to also more confidently share this idea and this strategy with people because before dividend investing, I Tried different things, different strategies. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. You can make a lot of money, but you can also lose a lot of money. So when I tell people that, right? There's no consistency. <laughs> Dividend investing is a bit different. Dividend investing is like, okay, I can tell you, Rakesh, if you buy this uh, uh, a basket of stocks, Pau Tia, Pau so not say Pau Tia, right? But, <laughs> not guaranteed, yeah, not guaranteed. But the beauty of it is that you can actually build something on the site and then do something else. What do I mean by this? Is like, as I was building this portfolio up I was saving and investing, at the same time, I could also, you know, concentrate on, let's say, my full-time job. You know, I could do something else. And that was really the beauty of dividend investing because I don't have to always monitor the market. Like, say, for example, a trader. A trader has to, let's say, at night, cover US markets. You have to stay awake all the way through 3 a.m. But for dividend investing, you don't have to, right? Once you take a position, the whole idea is to just take that position and then hold it for the long term. That was uh, why I sort of started dividend investing and why I started Dividend
0: Titan. But just want to kind of double down on the whole like feel. You, you were saying like, okay, you feel like it's more consistent. Is it just a feel or, you know, do you have numerical data to kind of back up this mm. idea that yeah. dividend investing can keep hitting, it is consistent and, you know, it's a, it's a reliable way to compound over an extended period of time? I started learning technical analysis, but- had no idea what was that. Then I went into like what a lot of the hedge fund managers
1: they, they did, you know, um they invested in what you call arbitrages, special situations. So these are kind of kind of the strategies where you try to understand things in sort of very complex detail. So you try to mm. go very deep into a particular company or you try to understand a stock in greater detail and try to sort of what you call quote unquote take advantage of the market, do like spin-offs, but it's very inconsistent. In some months, you get you know you can get let's say 50 60% kind of returns okay. but in other months or other years you can actually lose a lot of money as well because if the trade doesn't go well you know you could be down by a lot of uh, your 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 losses or your record can actually be hit quite a fair bit now for dealer investing it was a bit different so i started around 2015 or slightly earlier and what mm. i did was uh, when the market started to correct so i still could re- i could still remember in one of the first uh, a time when some of the dividend stocks started to drop. I think it was somewhere about 2013 and I started to buy. So Singapore okay. banks was one of them. Um, I remember buying DBS and I realized that, hey, when I bought it, right, back then I soon realized that I didn't really have to sell it because I was looking at the CDP statement and I saw that income started to come in. It might be, say, $100 plus, $200. But it sort of sparked that idea that what if I own more of these stocks and I mm. accumulate this amount over time? Because it was very different when I invested, say, in a US stock and I was doing like those kind of special situations, right? You don't really get to see dividends. You know, some, some months you're doing very well, some, some are not. But dividend investing, you when you see that, it really sparked the interest that, hey, actually, if I continue to, Buy these stocks and I don't sell it right. This CDP statement actually can start to grow like bit by bit. And what was more important was I wanted to invest also for my mom. Okay. Um, and the reason why, why was because when I graduated, my dad told me that his job, you know, as we were just discussing, um, because he used to work in a creative agency, how his company got disrupted, and then a lot of the contracts started to drop. And <sighs> because of that, it sparked me that. Oh, I needed to provide for my parents next time. But when I graduated, the thinking was, I'm only earning, let's say, three thousand dollars a month. Yeah. How am I going to give my parents allowance, but at the same time save for myself? You know, for my, for my wedding, for marriage, for my house. So the idea is that I needed to build something for my mom. So instead of giving her allowance, why not create something? out of nothing and dividend investing really came in and that really clicked. So as I built that, I would be telling my mom, mom, I don't need to give you allowance. Your allowance is here in the form of a dividend portfolio. So I started to build that and it grew over time, you know, from hundred plus, $200 and then a few thousand dollars, then tens of thousands of dollars after that. So that's how it started growing. And dividend investing is not something where um, I'm not as lucky as other investors where they really put in you know, their entire war chest in, say, the global financial crisis. I didn't have that luxury because it started in 2010, Mm. right? And what I did was I took advantage of the smaller sell-off or the smaller corrections. So 2013, 2015, even 2020 as well. And also a series of other uh, small corrections. I remember in 2015 when it was the... The scare in interest rates, you have Trump elections, you have the US-China trade wars coming on. A lot of the dividend-related stocks, which were sensitive to interest rates, especially REITs, they got sold off. So that's where I started to also buy as well. And I told myself, I'm not going to sell. I'm just going to hold it and collect those dividends. So I started sharing all this, you know, uh, during Chinese New Year, I was sharing with my aunt. (laughs) I said, hey, you know, if you want to invest, you should do this and this and this. And then I, I would tell them about my mom's portfolio and how, you know, I've sort of achieved that kind of income which she's which she's getting, even though it's not a lot, but it's a testament that
0: this works. And mm. what your aunt say, yeah, boy, don't me so much. Right? <laughs> <laughs> When you're gonna have the yeah, next kid. Yeah. Right? <laughs> So the,
1: Okay, so like any other aunt, they say, okay, okay, <laughs> tell me what stocks to buy. And the oh, next day, yeah. they won't buy. Yeah, standard. yeah. So the thing about investing is, you know, um, people say they want to invest. But a lot of times, the trick is, people are just not committed. They have the desire, mm. they, they want, but there's no commitment. Okay, so I guess that. And it's important when you are investing is to always think about, you know, do you, do you consider it as a priority? Because if you don't, then there's really no point. It's either you really give it your, your time and effort to build something which is useful for you or you don't really just, or you know, you can, you don't really do it.
2: I guess the, the question I have here, right? Like, I mean, look, love to understand that thought process and thank you so much for sort of going through what, how you got it started, right? But I think for people out there and our listeners want to know a little bit more on, there are a few things that need to sort of tick the box for dividend investing. Can you walk through like the scenario because you mentioned for your mum, Right, mm. you wanted effectively a cash flow, right? You didn't need so much in terms of of growth of wealth. You needed to maintain that wealth. Mm. Is that why you looked at dividend? Is that going to be the same when it comes to you, for example, or or any of our listeners? Like, what are some key key criteria we should be looking at? Should we want to move towards dividend investing?
0: Wait, mm. so so you, so you're assuming that mom has already accumulated, yes, right? Exactly, it's a that's an assumption already that we are on my that side. we are investing. So is it, yeah, is it must have lump sum then you invest and make sense for dividend, right? Or, you know, like some of our listeners, millennials, you know, got a lot of things to put money to, you know, got kids, got house, yeah. got everything, right? So, so it's like, is this the best way, right? Yeah.
1: Very good point here. So the assumption is you need to have some capital. Um, there are, you know, friends, people who are younger than us who came up to me and say, hey, also, I'm interested to start dividend investing, right? I've read your blog and all that. So can I get started? And I'll ask them, you know, how old are you? Uh, so and so, and also how much capital to start with. And the thing about dividend investing is you need to have that capital size. So mm. what I mean by capital base or capital size, you know, for, for many dividend investors, even for myself, uh, you need to have at least about $100,000 and above. To really get started. Because if it's smaller, right, let's say if you're doing like $20,000 or $50,000, you can get started. The problem is you cannot diversify your portfolio well enough for dividend investing. Because dividend investing is a bit trickier in a sense where you are not looking out for big gains or huge growth from the share price itself. You're looking for steady growth So a lot of these companies which are buying tends to be more mature, tends to be more stable. So with that regards, you want to diversify in case if one or two of these companies doesn't go well, at least you won't be losing your entire pants, right? -hmm. You'll still be able to protect your wealth. So dividend investing is one way to actually build this wealth steadily over time. So when it comes to having a portfolio, I would suggest having a much larger size to begin with. If let's say if you are starting out a smaller amount, I would suggest a different strategy then. So a lot of my readers, for example, they tend to be people in already in their late thirties, their forties, and they already have sort of saved up to a certain amount, and they say, "Hey, mm-hmm. it's time for me to get started. What can I do with this amount of money?" So they are not um, people who have just graduated, you know, from school, and they maybe they have about ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars a bit more difficult to get started investing, dividend investing that way. You probably want to find other sources of income to sort of save up. And then you deploy it into your portfolio and grow that over time. And then once you hit some critical mass, then you start to sort of change that strategy going forward. So for me, right, when I started off, right, uh, I didn't start off with digital investing. So this is something which I have to be upfront. What I did was, you know, I started off with your growth, your special situations. So it was very tiring. So I I did lose a lot of money, but also there there were some pretty good gains which allowed me to accumulate, save and invest. So towards the time where I uh, quit my job, that's where I sort of accumulated to a decent size. Um, But it was also the time where, I think just one or two years before, a couple of years before, I really quit. Uh, that's where I changed that strategy into mm. a more dividend portfolio strategy. It was also the same time I also where I reorganized my mom's portfolio as well because I also tested a lot of uh, funny strategies
0: like with a money. I'm oh, not so sure we- if mom wants to hear that. Never mind, uh, don't come back. Right? Well, so I, I... carried about by saying he got it all back. So, right? yeah, yeah, he yeah. Did carry yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So
1: that's that's how I sort of transitioned that. If you ask me, I've tried all the different strategies. Uh, mm. What I can say, dividend investing so far, right? If you want something which is uh, not as intense investing, then mm. I would feel that dividend... Dividend investing is probably more palatable Mm. and more suitable for the general masses.
0: Okay, fair, fair. So better for retirement in that sense.
1: Of course. I mean if you look at how investing is, right? Number one, I mean I'm not I'm definitely not sixty, right? I still have my black hair and (laughs) people think that I'm a school like a school kid. But um, what I've gathered, like, you know, for my mom, for my parents and some of the readers of my blog, they tell me, say, really, I don't want to be staring at a monitor every day. Mm. You know, what I want to do is I want to travel. I want to spend time playing golf. You know, I want to travel. Investing, in fact, or looking at the markets will probably be one of the last few things they want to do. And if you have that mindset, it's very difficult to say you want to, for example, trade options, trade Forex, because these are the kind of strategies where you need to be in front of the monitor
0: almost Mm. every day. I, I want to ask a little bit on the whole like diversified part because you did say like you, you want to get to a certain capital size before you know it, it makes sense because you can kind of diversify well right but yeah, I had a different thought process because for me it's like dividend is such a boring thing that is consistent mm-hmm. so you want good numbers your capital size must be bigger like, I never thought right. of it from a diversification I, viewpoint maybe you can maybe share with us a little from bit
2: consistency would you say for, yeah. the, for, like,
0: for dividends or yeah like yeah I just want to find out what is considered well diversified Mm. in a dividend portfolio
1: I don't okay so I don't have a fixed framework here so I will share with you two takes on this so number one is my personal take the portfolio which I built for the dividend portfolio so this is Mm. my money and my mom's money and I have 39 stocks as of November 39 stocks all diversified the reason why I do this is because if let's say uh, some of these dividend stocks or these businesses, they don't perform well, mm. and dividend stocks or businesses, they tend to be more mature companies. They might, you might actually risk having them to have their fundamentals change or their fundamentals deteriorated, and when that happens, right, you don't want to actually lose a big sum of that portfolio itself. And dividend investing, if you realize a lot of the returns is, most of the returns are coming from your dividends itself. It's not so much on the capital gains. So if you see, right, if you track, say for example, if you use the S&P 500 and and you track, right, most of the returns for the dividend stocks are actually coming from the dividends and the growth in the dividends itself, not so much on the capital gains, which means that I don't really need to punt or bet on one big stock to get me that winner. No, I don't need to find the next Amazon, or the next Meta, or the next Alphabet. Okay. What I need to do is I just have to pick good businesses, decent businesses, mature, stable, and then you just build this over gotcha. time. Now, where the diversification comes in is, like any other stocks, if you pick the wrong one, right, it's going to be devastating because, let's say if your stock drops 50%, you need to find another stock which could recover 100% on that stock. To break it But dividend up. investing for dividend stocks, you might not get that kind of returns right? Because most of the the um, returns is coming from your growth in your dividends mm. and the dividend paying itself. So that's why diversifying becomes very important for the portfolio. But if you're going to
2: say mature, mature companies that are quite stable, like what you said, you wouldn't see that much of a drop in the uh, stock price, would you?
0: No. <laughs> so what would you say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah what,
1: what would you say? As in, you would, you would think that mature companies can continue would to- At least
2: some, no. I mean, even stable, right? Maybe still remaining at the same, so oh, it will drop a little bit, but would it drop 30% in a day?
0: Would it drop 40% in, in I two mean, weeks? There yeah. are many examples, examples in history, right? Yeah. But yeah. yeah, please share. Yeah. So
1: dividend investing, like any kind of investing, there's always that risk where the companies uh, will not perform well and the growth will start to slow down or the business itself gets eroded by competition. Mm. In other words, Warren Buffett's uh, definition of economic mode is no longer there, right? And that that is definitely a risk. Uh, that's why we diversify. Now, uh, when we are looking at this kind of businesses, uh, it does happen. It, it could be a drop like what Rakesh you have mentioned, down 30% in one day, down 20, 30%. And we, are, we, we have seen, uh, especially in our local stock market, for example, where big companies actually happen this way because of disruption in the market itself. There are also other businesses, stable mature businesses, have over time, you know, sort of lose what its competitiveness, and you might not see that twenty to thirty percent drop in a day, but you might see a gradual fall yeah, in, in five the share years, price. Right? Yeah. by then mm. it's like, eh,
0: hey, what, what what just happened to this thing? So it's just like a frog mm. in a boiling oh. pot, oh. right? <laughs> right? It's like, wow, what <laughs> a translation, bro! <laughs> it's like putting in cold water and slowly. Yeah. Eat what a translation.
1: Yeah. So that that could happen, and for me because i came from a very conservative uh background as in my professional career was in fixed income i was a fixed income analyst and the number one thing to pay attention to is always the downside because fixed income is basically buying bonds and bonds you have no um, upside you only receive the coupons coupon rate yep. yeah yeah uh, twice every year so you want to make sure that the business the company continues to do well and I applied the concept to invest to dividend investing as well, income investing, because hmm. dividend investing, you don't really have the huge gains like growth stocks or the tech stocks in the US. But what you have is you know very steady income which pays you over time. And you want to protect that income. So in order to protect it, you diversify. I didn't mention there are two points which I want to say. One is my own personal portfolio and how I diversify. The the other one, which I've read, is actually by you know some academic papers. Um I'm not sure if you guys have come across. It's about talking about how diversification helps to reduce the portfolio risk or the risk on the portfolio. So risk in this case is the up and down movement of the portfolio. And there have been studies which show that the more you diversify, the lower this up and down movement is on your portfolio. So you don't get that kind of um, heart attack when you see suddenly your portfolio is down like 20% in one day. So you don't Mm. get that as long as it's diversified. And the reason why is because um, different stocks, they behave differently in different markets in different periods of time. If you think about it, there are financial stocks during the global financial crisis which have been devastated. But during those periods, there were also stocks, your defensive stocks like industrials and some healthcare stocks which have done pretty well. So those sort of compensate industrial healthcare stocks compensated for the losses or the sell-off of financial stocks during the global financial crisis. Because again, right, different stocks, they behave differently. Different sectors, they perform differently. They might One sector might outperform the other, whereas another sector might underperform the other. You want to actually diversify differently across uh, different stocks, different sectors, and different countries such that your risk in this case, your definition of risk means that you don't get a lot of ups and down movements on your portfolio.
2: So that means effectively what you're saying is make sure that when you diversify, look at the correlations of the industries. Look at the ways that if something is going up, the other part is sort of going down so that it kind of stays consistent. Is that what you're saying in terms of keeping the the capital about the same?
1: Exactly. If you think about it, in 2020, almost all the dividend stocks got sold off you know, it crashed mm. like REITs are, have done very badly still still doing very badly yeah <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand if you have invested back in 2020 some of the US blue chip stocks right I'm, mm. I, I'm not talking about the fancy growth stocks which you have seen right if, if, if you have invested in some of the, the quality blue chip US blue chip stocks they have actually performed well and that compensated for the sell off in Singapore REITs mm. at the same time in 2020, Singapore banks have also done pretty well. That sector has compensated for the Singapore REITs. That's one example. Another example is 2011, the US debt crisis, where the US government were arguing whether to raise the debt ceiling or the debt limit. Still in the arguing, US. Th- th- they still I thought they on every like three it's years. Heavy heavy of- <laughs> arguing. So um. back then, yeah. there was a huge hoo ha in the uh, US debt crisis. And what sold off was the banks, mm. the US banks, the Singapore banks. DBS, UOB, and OCBC got mm. sold off in 2011. Mm. That's where you probably want to compensate with other stocks from other sectors to balance out the what you call, what experts like to say, the volatility, mm. Mm. right? Or the ups and
0: down movements of the portfolio. Yeah. So diversification becomes very important this way. Mm. Mm. Okay, okay, fair. I-, I wanted to ask a little bit on, you know, so do you dca then right because based on your stories right it, it's like okay there's this time this thing got sold off i accumulate there's this time this thing got sold off i accumulate so in mm. in your model is there like a price to acquire you know that, that you know what, what people will call fair value right okay this is a fair value you you acquire at undervalue, or do you like acquire dca over an extended period of time what's your strat mm. so dca Theoretically, DCA means you buy every month. Yes, dollar cost averaging huh, for, yeah. for those that don't know. Yes. yes, yes. So I don't
1: strictly stick to it. What I do is I have a watch list mm. and I pay attention to this set of watch lists. That means I keep track in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, individually, I manually key in all the um the uh, the, uh, the stocks which I, which I look at. Yep. The price limits where I think it will be a fair price to pay for it in the market what sort of uh, value which I think the stock might carry and the dividend yield of the company itself. And I'm based on this watch list to do my shopping, right? If it gets expensive, then I wouldn't touch that stock. I will move on to another. So one common mistake which I tend to find and I also commit initially was when I see a stock which I really like, I will put all my money into that one stock, (laughs) which I did before. And I lost quite a lot of money. Back then, it was a US stock. Then I soon realized that that's not the way to play the game, right? So I started reading about this concept of DCA. Now, DCA is a very generic term. Uh, oh, just put it every month. The problem is if you don't automate it, right, you will actually lose that habit of putting that money. Mm. That's just one. So what I did was I instead I created this watch list um, and I track the price of the stock and I set alerts. Every time when it falls below a certain amount, then I buy. And each of these stocks, I have sort of different, what you call tranches or different uh, baskets which I buy. So say for example, right, I might have allocated $20,000 on one particular stock. I may not put all that money into that one stock once I see that it's it's within my buy range. But what I do is I will probably, out of that $20,000, I will say, okay, I'm going to just buy $7,000, $8,000 of that stock itself. Is this arbitrary? It depends on the individual stock. That's, like, that's a very good point. It depends on the, the stock itself. Um, I would have an idea on how much position I might want to build for that stock. Mm. But typically, it's about three different tranches mm. or mm. three different sizing. So okay. it could be $20,000 and it's then Split into three times, yeah. you kind of- So it's pretty standard. In okay. that sense. So it's not really DCA because DCA means you are committed to buying that one stock every single month, mm. whether if it's the price is at a certain level, you yeah. know, if it's at a high level or a low level, you still buy. But for okay. me, I take a different approach. Okay. So this is
0: how I build that. Yeah, so, so the question then is, is this mathematically superior to compare the DCA or is this just like operationally comfortable? You know, like where are we on this?
1: Yeah. I have not tested this method before. I've not uh. back tested this. But uh, for me, it's comfortable like what you said mm. uh, and it suits me. I don't have to, every month I have to log in and you know, buy it every month. Because sometimes if the stock gets too expensive, like for example bank stocks right now, price at all time high, would I want to buy? I might not want to actually touch it, mm, mm. right? But DCA might tell you that you
0: must buy it now. Mm. So it might not make sense. There's a dollar yeah, value mean? average or something, yeah. but like DVA, or something, all these yeah. new terms. La, but yeah. So, to sidetrack,
1: DCA does help if you are buying, let's say, an index fund. So, mm. the SP 500, uh, the Hang Seng index, or the STI index. Yeah. But if you're doing individual stock picking, what I would suggest is to have a watch list of stocks and then you commit. That to that watch list itself. Mm. And then for each stock position, you just buy, let's say, you know, it's just split into different uh, uh tranches each time, you know, you want to buy. Yeah. As long as the price is within that range, you just buy it. If it's expensive, then you put it aside, you move on to another stock. So that's why diversification helps because you don't just look at one small group of stocks, but you are actually looking at a much bigger library of different stocks mm. across different sectors
2: guess for me that, that brings up a, a few more questions right number one i mean that means if you if you buy in again for whatever stock you're talking about let's call it dbs right or I'll call it si i don't know what you buy you need to rebalance your portfolio wouldn't you because now your correlation is going to change mm-hmm. so how would you still maintain diversity with that like when you
0: over- overlook yeah. on something yeah, yeah because, because you something you is cheap then your capital allocation no, you're size correct. to everyone so you've got to rebalance all of this do you how? do that the rebalancing comes
1: it's not as huge because don't forget, um, when it comes to diversification, for me personally, I diversify, I have about 35 to 40 stocks at any one point. So if you think about that, between 35 to, to thirty-five to 40 stocks means that each stock position can be anywhere between 1% all the way to, I have one seven eight percent When you're buying in that small amount, you don't really need to have a huge rebalancing. The rebalancing mm-hmm. comes only, for, like, let's say if you have only 10 stocks, or 20 stocks and that takes up a huge portion of your portfolio Got it. that's when you probably need to do massive rebalancing but in this case if you know you're just making steady accumulation of individual stocks not a huge rebalancing you know to to look at the rebalancing comes more from a top down that means not really from the individual stocks but maybe from a sector point of view a country point of view so for example my portfolio right i have three big different markets half of it is in singapore is in the US and the remaining is in Hong Kong. So I might actually do a country rebalancing where maybe I don't want so much in Singapore, for example, or I don't want so much in the US, or I might want more in the US today. So I might do that. I might also do a sector rebalancing, meaning that um, I don't want to put in too much into a particular sector. For example, um, I used to have a large portion of my portfolio in REITs. But mm. I have actually sort of trimmed it down, not because I hate the whole sector, but because there are actually other opportunities, dividend stocks, not just in Singapore, but outside of Singapore and there are non-REITs. So that's where I sort of rebalance out of the sector into other different sectors. And of course, you know, bearing in
0: mind that each sector also carry their own inherent risk. And that would be like a whole season of discussion on, on yeah, <laughs> different sectors. But uh, I just want to get a bit of color on the 50-50 kind of split, like 50% Singapore, 50% abroad. Is that what you practice to kind of manage uh forex risk? Is that, because that is like the, the cheapest, lamest way to do it, right? that it kind of works. I don't know, is that how you do it? So for me, the the main forex risk
1: is the US dollar because the Hong Kong dollar is packed to the US dollar. So I invest in both US, I invest in Hong Kong. So the The bulk of the the foreign exchange risk is coming from the US, uh, which I don't really have a big problem um, because I expect my positions in Hong Kong and US, the capital gains, the gradual capital gains, which I get would compensate for the the FX risk or the foreign exchange risk here. So that's how I manage it. Um, Having said that, we don't really need to invest everywhere in the world. We just need to pick like Two or, big, or two or three big markets to be honest and we are really good to go because the US have about I think about 6-7 six, six, thousand over stocks mm. you know, Singapore you have about 600 plus uh, Hong Kong you have a couple of thousand uh, stocks so that is a very good fishing ground for finding
0: stocks for your portfolio so then at what price? Because you had a buy price, right? And, and I, I wanted to ask because like different investing styles are kind of different in the way they evaluate what is a fair price to enter into the into the portfolio. Although um, most most of them do use some common fundamentals, mm. you know, uh, but they price different growth rate, terminal growth rate, they price different, some of these other things, right? So, so just for our audience's sake, right? When we are thinking of dividend investing from your point of view, you have a buy price, right? You have a fair value price that you try to buy it at. How do you come about to this price? It's going to come across as very silly. Uh. Uh, for me, I don't really have
1: very complex models. I used to do it when I was in banking. All the, um, the uh, complex financial models. Hmm. But for me, it's pretty simple. I When I look at a dividend stock, I look at two um, key, key ratios. Number one, it's the dividend yield, um, the historical dividend yield how it has traded over the last, say, 10 years. And I look at the price to book ratio and I compare it over the last 10 years itself. And that's pretty much about it because the the more important thing or the more important uh, one which I want to pay attention to is trying to find out what the business is, how the business is doing and whether I can predictably say this business, the profits, you know, they, they are predictable enough for me. So that means I always ask myself in the next 15 years, right? will anything change about this business? Will this business be still around? It's more important than trying to figure out the exact price point which I want to buy, which mm. you know can be something which people tend to focus about. You know, They, they call it valuations and they always ask me, hey, where's the lowest? Has it reached the bottom? Uh, can it go lower some more? My thinking is a lot like the late Charlie Bunger. He said that it's impossible to figure out where the bottom is. But he knows that as long as I don't overpay for it, and I buy somewhere within a range near the bottom, I think I'm generally safe. And I sort Mm. of carry that that philosophy into my own investing, meaning that I try not to get too hung up over the valuations. Just pay attention to one or two simple ratios. And then I try to figure out, okay, when is a good good price? So a good way is I look at a particular stock. If the dividend yield right now is trading at much higher than the average dividend yield it has been traded over Mm. the last 10 years, then I think that that's where the share price would be interesting enough for me to sort of buy. So it's not very much complicated. I just based on how the market has traded their dividend yield over, the, say, the last 10 years. And anyway, it's so much easier to get all this data everywhere yeah. on the internet. Business.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking probably his, his screeners got two sets of the, the two main things right price to book and U yeah. ratios that's <laughs> his this is, this is top yeah. line top line right <laughs> so you, you set those things then got alert coming oh okay then let us th- take a look yeah. at these things right that's your that's your first tier of screening and then you try to evaluate the fundamentals of the business as long as okay. it sounds stays intact you know continue to make money does not look like there's a big risk factor then that's to cool. you that's a fair business to own as exactly. a dividend investor I don't know the okay did- end of story guys thank you <laughs> <laughs>
1: Dividend investing at <laughs> the end of the day is really so it's really f- trying to understand where the bulk of my time is spent on, right? It's not trying to think about like the exact right price mm. to actually pay. But where my focus is, right? On the contrary, is trying to figure out the business itself. So as a dividend investor, I try to think more like a business owner, like exactly like how any other investors you might have spoken to, any long-term investors who are pro-Warren Buffett in in the idea of value investing. It's it's always thinking about the business itself. And that's one of the hardest thing to do uh, because it's number one, businesses are very fluid. There is no uh, one same business which can be replicated elsewhere. So say for example, right? If you talk about Coca-Cola, that's one of Warren Buffett's favourites. That particular business has no other replica in the whole world because Coca-Cola is just Coca-Cola. You might study as much about Coca Cola, but you might not find that same kind of exact same kind of companies elsewhere. And that's very Mm. important because if you think about that for a bit, you will tend to want to pay closer attention to individual companies or
0: individual business which you are buying. So you won't, you will take each. Assessment of a company more seriously, and then, and then you kind of build up from there, right? Essentially, different yeah. sectors over time. You learn about it. Okay, mm. just go and read that whole like annual report thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hundreds of pages. Just go and read it. You will get a good idea of what the hell this business is doing, right? <laughs> Generally, that's why. You. If you cannot complete yeah. one, don't tell me about investing. Okay, yeah. just yeah. complete one first. You'll get a you'll get a decent idea, you know. And if they, if you don't understand what they're saying, oh, you can ping us. We try to answer for you, right? <laughs> so that is good. But when you were talking about variance, when it comes to the yields, Right. so mm. so uh, and and this is a thing i i receive questions like that right so is this too, is this u too high right it's so mm. common because when the yields are high right it's a good sign that the market is selling it down right quite badly so like what what is the what is what at what point is this u variance interesting right so let's say it usually trades at a, a a dividend u of like 8%. Right. At what point is it become like, hey, this is interesting. And at what point become like, hey, this is dangerous. You know, like like where is this variance that, mm. that you are looking at?
1: So I won't focus too much on the yield itself. Mm. So like the common uh, saying is that, oh, if it's a high dividend yield stock, it's a value trap. It's dangerous. Ignore it. There is some truth to it because there are a lot of weak companies. You just say to ignore, then you say got truth. Yeah, yeah, got truth. <laughs> no, no, no. let,
2: let the guy okay.
1: let the guy talk. When you're looking at these high dividend yield stocks, right? The reason why some of them they might be high dividend yield probably because they have number one, a huge dividend payout for the last year. Mm. So that's something where you might think it's not sustainable at all. So that's something which you probably want to be more careful. And I would ignore these kind of companies because after that one-off big payoff, like this big special dividends, which happened uh, for many commodity companies back in twenty twenty-two, 13, 13. uh just a couple of years, right? Okay. They, they have a huge payout after COVID. And then after that, they started to cut the dividends because of the special dividends. So if you look at the deal itself, it looks very attractive, but I wouldn't touch them, right? Just, just because that's a one-off uh, special dividend payout. Now, okay. the, the other one, which a lot of people, they tend to actually look at or tend to focus at is the, the high dividend yield where it's really, like it is, it could be a potential trap. That's where I want to actually dig a little bit deeper, where I want to see whether these companies they are able to actually pay these dividends sustainably. So, number one, whether their dividends continue to grow or cut. More often than not, some of these high dividend yielding companies, uh, they the reason why they have a high dividend yield is because a lot of the company, the, the company itself might not be doing well. The profits have been dropping. As a result, the dividend yield starts to get cut. But when the market sees this, they will sell off the share price much faster than the dividend yields get cut. That's why you have a very high dividend yield. So that's where the trap comes in. Does it mean that I will ignore this basket of stocks entirely? Not really, because there are also businesses within this high dividend yield category where they are still producing good revenues, good Mm. profits, and they have either sustained their dividend payout or they have been growing this over time. So there are companies like this, not many in Singapore, uh, but what I found is in other, other parts, uh, for example, in Hong Kong, right? There, there are big companies which have very good, which sells good products, good services, which have been growing their revenues, their profits, but also paying good dividends. So mm. one of them is, you know, it's a toy company which they have been selling in Singapore and also across the world as well. you when I picked that particular stock, was about 11-12%. And it has been pretty steady. So if you look at such high dividend yield dividend stocks, how you typically want to play this right is you don't focus too much on the capital growth or the capital gains. Because one year itself, you can get back 11-12%. So you, yeah. you just focus on, number one, whether they're able to maintain that business Number two, whether they're able to actually continue to maintain that dividend payout, that, that distribution payout from the company itself. And that's all that there is to it because for such companies, you don't need to get the returns from the share price appreciation. You just get it from the dividends itself.
0: Yeah. I just want to add to that, right? I think, I think uh, the, and the good thing about those things is that if the company can pay out consistently, and then maybe for one or two reasons, because of, for whatever reason, political reason, you know, you know currency fluctuation, whatever thing, it, it caused that, that that kind of sudden yield increase, right? But if it can sustain the market, reprice it, the yield comes down, but it's okay, you're, you're already price locked in in, really in the when, when it was much cheaper, right? So, so, it really doesn't affect you as much by then, right? And then- you should kind of expect that, right? The, the yield should kind of come back down. It, it cannot be like the yield stays very high for a prolonged period, right? You, you know what I'm mm. saying? If the company is actually good, the yield should come down and you should be happy that it kind of kind of taper off into a so-called healthier space. That means the markets that generally think, okay, like, it's all okay already, no problem. <laughs> you know, that life kind of moves on. Is that kind of what we expect? You, you can actually
1: look at it that way as well. Mm. Although I must also say that there are very high dividend use stocks. Maybe that they might not actually see the share price go back up. It might just be stable for a very long time. So that really depends. When you pick this kind of stocks, it depends on your portfolio then. Are you looking for a portfolio where you want to extract Income from the portfolio itself and capital gains don't re- really matter too much. Mm. So, if that's the case, then this kind of dividend stocks might be very ideal because if you are looking for a portfolio where you want to have a good income which you can extract the money from, try buying US stocks and you might not get anything much out of it because number one, you have the 30% withholding tax. Mm. Number two, US stocks don't pay you very good dividends. So, you might enjoy the capital gains, but not a lot of people want that because. They might want that consistency in a dividend payout while maintaining the value of the portfolio. So in this case, higher yielding dividend stocks might actually be a good fit for such portfolios. You might not get good capital growth from a dividend yielding stocks, and like what Reggie has pointed out, yeah. you know, it, you might not see that recovery, huge recovery or huge jump in that capital gains. Thereby, the dividend yield drop. But in compensation, you might just get you know every year that dividend you locked in, you know, 8-9%, one of the stocks which I mentioned to you, 11-12%, yes. which I think is great, you know, if you want that kind of um, income for your portfolio. One,
2: one question I have, like, a- any advice to our, to our listeners, right, who fit in this criteria where they have effectively the hen and they don't want to take, they don't want to eat the, the chicken, they want to eat the eggs is effectively maybe an analogy that I have now clearly tried to do, but, you know, maybe not a very good analogy, but... <laughs> uh effectively you, they eat the egg, la, la, but you don't want to <laughs> eat the chicken and kill the chicken uh, uh. right? you want to eat the egg sorry so but at the same time they want to make sure that their capital that they've invested in in these stocks are kind of like inflation proof so like a dollar today is worth a dollar tomorrow for them uh, uh. while hmm. still trying to gain some sort of eggs la. how would you approach that how what would you think like what was your thinking behind this
1: so that's the common narrative, right? Which I've been saying that you want to have a portfolio to be able to beat inflation. Mm. That's important. And that's something which I also subscribe to. More yeah. important is- See, correct uh, Okay, okay, correct. correct, 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 correct. Okay, correct. <laughs> more important is to think about your expenses. More, more so than trying to figure out, oh, inflation is going to increase by 3%, 5% every year. I would think about, okay, how much money do I need? Let's say 15, 20 years from now. And then I try to walk backwards to build that portfolio to meet that income need. I feel that that's probably an easier way to do it because sometimes if we just focus okay the portfolio must be able to beat inflation. Let's say inflation is 3% means that my portfolio must do at least 5-6%. You can actually think that way although I feel that an easier way to do it is first to think about okay how much do I need for my lifestyle say you know when I retire and then I think about building back backwards how much Capital, do I need to grow this uh, 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 portfolio so that it can
0: sustain that lifestyle in the future? So essentially, you don't want to put that burden on the portfolio. You just want yeah. to kind of adjust it based on like your expenses and then just kind of work from there in terms of building an income to meet that. So your income grow can already. It's not about the portfolio capital need to grow at a level. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Exactly. Okay. And that's, okay.
1: that's really the essence of dividend investing. A lot of times people go into dividend investing without a goal or without a plan. That means they go in and say, okay, I want to make money and I want to make as much. I want to get Bro, dividends. It's not unique to dividend
0: investing, huh? Yes. Every uh, investing. Yeah. <laughs> everything.
1: Uh. More so. More so important for dividend investing because dividend investing, you know, you don't really get that huge boost in capital gain. So it's important. Many of the more experienced income investors, which I've known over the years, how they do it is they will try to match um, their portfolio with whatever um, expenses or their lifestyle is. Then they will, they will build the, their portfolio according to it. And what do I mean by this is that sometimes some stocks might be suitable for your portfolio, some might not be. For example, a high-yielding stock might not be suitable maybe for someone who is much younger because mm. that person doesn't need that income straight away. So let's say, for example, uh, when I started out investing, I wouldn't be looking at these high-dividend-yielding stocks because number one, my capital base is much smaller I don't, and number two, I don't need that income straight away. So high-yielding dividend uh, stocks wouldn't be suitable for me. However, As the years go by, and as I manage um, the money with my mom, she has stopped working and she needs the income. So in this case, a growth stock might not be as suitable as, for example, a high yielding dividend stock. Because what she needs is the income. So I would actually pick these dividend stocks based on the profile of my current uh, lifestyle, and the strategy which i am using for this portfolio okay
0: okay question okay. question then is do you reinvest that dividend Right, because because I mean, the, of course, one way you want the company to reinvest the dividend. Then those are growth stocks, right? Essentially, right? Yeah, they they yeah. they have the income. They don't they they make the profits. It does not come out as dividend. They reinvest in the business and they grow from there. Mm. So those are like fast growth company, or maybe they are not very fast, but they're trying to grow, right? So they <laughs> so they do yeah, they, yeah, yeah, the company they reinvest internally. Sorry. You know, you know, it, it is part and parcel of a of a company. Mm. But then when when companies get into a relatively matured stage, like like the, the kind of ones that, that dividend investors tend to like or tend to want to get, you know, including a REIT, right? Because that means the capital of the, the price of the building is not really going to move much already. So in order to offload from the developer's balance sheet, right, they pass it onto a REIT vehicle and then they capital recycle and build new things, right? Mm. So that is kind of how, how it works. So either way, once you enter this whole dividend game right a lot of these things are matured you know so you you don't expect much capital growth but there's dividend that comes out lah right so Mm. so that people kind of stay around but then do you reinvest that dividend like or do you just take it as as well money to spend you know like how do you how do you kind of practice this for
1: my portfolio which i do with my mom um, it has always been reinvesting those dividends it's only in recent i think for the last year where i started to actually pay out that income to her because that's where because she has retired and that's where she She needs that that income so her sources of income is from her cpf which she's she's going to unlock very soon her savings this (laughs) is important because dividend investing right is really about safety most of the people who tend to build these portfolios are, are sort of in at a stage where they have accumulated savings and the risk of them losing is actually very high because trying to get it back is very different from say a 20 plus year old Trying to rebuild that capital is much easier as compared to say someone in their fifties or even sixties. Mm. So it's important to preserve that capital itself. So again, diversification is important. Uh, but what's what's important is to really protect that value of the portfolio. When when we talk about extracting that income, right, initially was reinvesting it to grow it, but now. It's it's more of like trying to take that money out and also sustain her lifestyle here. I don't try to do anything crazy with the portfolio. Uh, It has to be stable.
0: Is there a withdrawal rate that you're going with when it comes to this, you know, the 4% withdrawal rate, right? <laughs> that's the, that's the idea, right? 4% and then your portfolio will kind of stay yeah. forever. I mean, there's yeah. some mathematical proof to that like, based on historical data. So yeah. I, so I haven't really come up with a, a formula, mathematical but, formula. Yeah. Okay. So okay. I'll just start
1: off with, okay, withdrawing it few hundred dollars every month. So that's the start. And mm. then I'll sort of stress test it as the years go by to increase it after a while and see how, how much can push in terms of uh
0: taking the income out and passing it to her. Fair. Yeah. Essentially what Willie is saying, follow my blog. Subscribe. <laughs> 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 subscribe so you will kind of know where this goes. Hopefully you get new insights as you go along. Well, I
1: I, I can always give you know what people are saying out there. Mm. You know, I can always mm. give what the academics or professors have yeah, like for Which everyone can get the stuff out. But I think what, what I really like to share is how how I sort of build this up and Love it. how I do it. Please. Um, you know, it might not be the best way to like it might not be the perfect way. Right, But at least this is one way it works, right? Mm. And if you try to do it, you know, with, let's say, with some effort, right? You can actually reach some, some form of decency or some form of level here.
0: No, no. And, and to be fair, right, um, I think a lot of these kind of like modeling, they model without the human involved, right? right. So it's a math model. Right. And great. Or math model, always good. Start as young as possible. Buy insurance now. Do everything <laughs> when you when you you know when you are as young as possible, right? Yeah. But but the reality is once you apply it to the individual, there's this thing called bandwidth, right? There's this thing called time, you know, there's so many right. other elements of an of a real life that you life live gets to. in the way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean same with economic model, cetera, parables, but it's not yeah. saturus parables, right? So
1: that's a very good point you raised, mm. Rajiv. If you talk about withdrawal rates, right, people can come up with a number, you know, four percent, five percent. But how many people can actually stick to these numbers mm. religiously? And like what Rakesh say, things get in the way, right? You have sudden expenses, you have su- sudden medical bills you have to pay. What's gonna happen to this withdrawal rate? Is, it's gonna throw you off track. So I won't stick to so so strictly to the exact formula, you know, or this percentage, how much I need. I will instead see a, what's the lifestyle I have right now, and I'll adjust it according to plan. And I think that's the beauty of investing because it's very different right, from one, one, one person's strategy to another person's strategy. What's interesting is that today we are able to actually see the different kind of strategies which everyone is using and then try to learn and get ourselves sort of inspired by how we can actually take some of people's different people's ideas and incorporate in it into our own. I think that's
0: mm. probably what's more practical for me. Thanks for thanks for sharing. I think you went through quite a bit, right? But there's there's a I'm sure there's a lot more in terms of how you how you go about deciding some of these stocks. I mean, you can go much much deeper. So people should check out you know your your blog, right? So check out Dividend Titan, you know. But uh, in closing, maybe you can just kind of sum up, right? Like what is a Dividend Titan and what are you gonna do, you know, with your platform going mm. forward? Because I, I know you got new, new things, new things plans, coming. Plans. Yes. Plans.
1: So um for Dividend. Titan, I started the name because I had I couldn't think of any other better names to be honest. So the whole idea of the blog is to write about ideas where I can find good dividend payers, right? Or good dividend dominators, which I sort of classify it uh, myself in my watch list. But I couldn't think of a better name back then, right? So it's really about trying to find some of these uh, stocks, which might not necessarily be of a big, large market cap, but they 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 have the abundance in paying that dividends so that means their profits are able to pay you good dividends regardless of you know how big they are or how small they are as long as I they're they able to actually grow or sustain that that dividends um, I classify them as a dividend Titan and that's how that block came about got you so my plans for my blog next year well I want to definitely grow that 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 block yourself and try to document more of ideas not just in Singapore. I'm hoping to actually uh, write more about in Asia, for example, and also try to share more about my own personal journey. Um, I realized that my blog has always been talking about the market, the stock ideas, but I'm, I also want to share a bit more about uh, what I do as an investor.
0: Okay, so thank you for your time, you know, and for our listeners, please check out Dividend Titan, and you know, I can come on our show more. We can talk about your ideas and all that jazz. Okay, yeah, for sure, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Would love to come, and thank you for inviting me onto the show. Yeah, and uh, now now he's a celebrity. Your Money FM, all say, yeah. like artas <laughs> all, right? So <laughs> no, so good stuff. When are we going on your show? Well, oh, oh. oh, oh. <laughs> anytime guys okay. as long
1: as as long as you guys are open to talk about the markets more than happy to invite you on nice
0: Done. nice okay so yeah. we are planning we plan our uh, 2024 okay <laughs>
1: make sure you guys come with a stock idea okay okay <laughs> okay, okay, okay yeah. we'll do that we'll do that thank
0: <laughs> you thank you for your time thank you guys see ya thanks guys